I got Matt Norlanda here with me, and this is the second of three podcasts we're going to do this week, and I have it right this time. This is actually, for real, the second podcast of the week. We did one yesterday. This is how I kept count. Did one yesterday. Uh, this is number two. We'll have another one on, I believe, a Friday. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please do that via iTunes. Rate it favorably. And by favorably, I mean five stars. That's Anything else is unacceptable. Five stars and continue to uh, write great comments, reviews, because uh, those are helpful. We appreciate it. Our bosses appreciate it. Uh, so we encourage you uh, to keep doing it. And is Trey Young awesome or is Trey Young awesome? He got whew, 26 points, 22 assists last night. and went over Northwestern State. Now averaging 28.5 points and 10.2 assists per game. Both numbers lead the nation in those categories. This Oklahoma point guard, the freshman, um, he's become the story of college basketball this season. Norlander, you saw him in Portland. You saw his greatness. Did you think it would be taken to this level? Did you think he would actually emerge as a legitimate, if not the obvious and only, uh, candidate for National Player of the Year? You know, Parrish, I remember a, a more innocent, sweeter, younger time. All of three weeks ago, when I had mentioned that Trey Young was atop my frosh watch standings ahead of Marvin Bagley the third, and I remember your reaction being something along the lines of "What?" <laughs> that seemed like silly talk. I was uh, I was so focused on Bagley that seemed like silly talk to me, but it doesn't seem so silly now. Not silly at all. It is. He has become the biggest story uh, in college basketball to this season, uh, in my opinion, uh, because of what he's he's able to do. Um, 22 assists was only the uh, fourth player in NCAA men's Division one history to hit that mark in a game and I'll be honest actually that's a, that's a ton of assists I actually thought maybe uh, the record might have been a little bit higher but sure enough it wasn't in fact um, one of the players who did that is currently a coach in the SEC Avery Johnson did it back with Southern uh, back in the late 1980s. Um, I've got a whole bunch of thoughts here GP uh, I'll try not to, to overload you but I just I've got a whole mess of thoughts on Trey. If you want to use this podcast to try to catch up in words per minute with me, like close that gap just a little bit over the years, it's fine with me. Take okay. off. Um, thought number one. Yeah, Trey Young probably, if he wanted to, could have gone for 50 against Northwestern State, but instead opted to show people that he actually is uh, a point guard. And I think this was uh, – a message that he was sending to anyone who's been critical of him in the past that he is too much of a, a me-first-shoot-first kind of player. Uh, he now leads the nation in assists, and even before this game was third in assists and averaging nearly nine a game. Um, this is the type of performance uh, that has people talking, not because he put up 40-plus, no, because he dished out 22 assists, and people will start discussing him more in terms of his overall impact as a scoring point guard. I think that was uh, very much intentional, and... Within the flow of the offense, he was just absolutely tremendous. Um, so that that point can't be lost overall. Uh, we are probably going to hear more and more about why wasn't Trey Young rated higher in his own recruiting class. The reasons for that um, were because of his size, uh, because he was not seen as a uh, the kind of athlete and point guard uh, from a pro prospect standpoint the way that Colin Sexton was. 
and he could always fill it up, but there were some questions about whether the things he was able to do at that level, if they would really become, um, you know, maybe even 70% of what he's been able to do uh, at the college level now. So I actually had no issue with Trey Young being ranked pretty much where he was because he was a five-star recruit. He was just one of the final five-star recruits if you go look at 247 Sports Composite Rankings. Um, but now, obviously, this is, this could very well become part of the – the lore of Trey Young is that he, you know, um, the the, op- the opposite, I guess, of a gorilla stat in some ways was he wasn't even a top 20 recruit in his own high school class, and look what he's doing. I think you're going to hear that a lot going forward. Um, the scary thing with Young is that I don't think he is going to regress to the mean this season. Now, I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain double-digit averages in assists and points, but I think he is going to be 25-plus in the point average by the end of the season and probably 8.5 assists at worst. Um, that is statistically incredible. GP, I don't have it in front of me, but he was responsible for something like 76 of Oklahoma's points last night. It was insane. Um, he was the first player in over 20 years to get 20 points and 26, 20 assists in a game. Uh and was the first player to do a 20 and 20 of any statistical kind since uh, Rico gathers at Baylor. Alma mater to Terry MF and Teagle, just so we know, right. so we can get that shout out in nice and early. Um, he did that in 2015. Um, he is must watch. He is the definitive Canyon gapped leader for national player of the year at this point. Um, and I don't think he's got it on lock. We've got a lot of season to go here. Uh, but if Oklahoma continues to be good, if Oklahoma continues to look like a team that can be a top three, top four team in the Big 12, and it's a very good Big 12 this season, let's not forget that. This league is freaking stacked right now. Um, Young is going to have a great shot simply because he has more opportunity by way of responsibility than any other than any other player out there right now. Um I spoke with Trey's dad after the game uh, on Tuesday night. I texted with him, rather, and he said, he, you know, we will not take this for granted. Trey is going to continue to work hard. Um, this is, you know, all pretty amazing to see. But uh, but he remains a humble kid. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how much attention Trey starts to get uh, because you can't go on Twitter when he's playing and not see, you know, 17 Steph Curry comparisons. Some of that's fair. But Steph Curry was not this good in college. Uh, Steph Curry was awesome, and he was wowing. He was not doing what Trey Young is doing right now. Let's see when we get to the end of the season if Trey Young's averages wind up actually being on the level of Curry. And obviously, um, worth repeating that Trey Young was a much higher uh, prospect in the rankings than Curry was when uh, when he ended up committing to Davidson. Those are my all-encompassing thoughts on Trey Young. I could I could honestly go on for 25 minutes about the kid because there's a lot of fascinating aspects to what he's doing here. But I want to kind of throw it back to you to get your thoughts on sure the game because the game is awesome. Uh, 26 and 22 shot well from the floor against a bad team. Sure, but we we have hit a point where culturally Trey Young is is entering into a, a a conversation that goes beyond college basketball. I feel. I'm glad you said what you said about the Steph Curry comparisons because that is what you hear all the time. It's been going on for uh, for weeks now. You know, he looks like Steph Curry, he plays like Steph Curry. He's better than Steph Curry. Now, I'm not pretending he's going to be better than what Steph Curry has become. I don't have any idea. That seems like a pretty high place to set the bar. Two-time NBA MVP, uh, you know, uh, two-time world champion, and and obviously probably more on the way. Uh, you know, like I, you'd have to be one of the all-time greats to to do that, just like Steph is one of the all-time greats. But 
in terms of a college basketball player, especially a college freshman, Trey Young is doing things that Steph Curry did not do. Like Steph Curry in college averaged as a freshman 21.5 points and 2.8 assists per game. Trey Young right now, and again, that's an entire season. This is just 10 games, but he's averaging 28.5 points and 10.2 assists per game. So it is undeniable that Trey Young is having a better freshman season, arguably a, a better freshman season than any season that Steph Curry ever had uh, at Davidson. Now, when the Big 12 schedule uh, you know, starts and he's playing against better competition, will he continue to be able to do this? I mean, I don't think he's going to have another 26 and 22 game, but he's still going to post numbers. I mean, I don't think there's any way around that. And when you post these types of numbers for a top 25 team, uh, then you're the type of guy who wins a, a national player of the, uh, of the year award. Um, in terms of him as a pro prospect, you know, the reason he wasn't ranked in the top 20 of his high school class, the reason he wasn't, I don't think, in anybody's mock draft two months ago is because of his size. But he's listed at 6'2", 180. You've stood, you stood next to him. Is he really 6'2"? Uh, I'm 6'3". I think he is. I think he's probably 6'1 and a half, maybe 6'2". And before you continue, he, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the size. That's part of it. He's not small. He's not meek. Like, he's actually relatively well-built. I could easily see him putting on 10 pounds of muscle seamlessly at the next level, by the way. He's not a uh, tiny kid. Okay, let's call him 6'1", 180, all right? Let's, like, let's just take an inch off. You know what Steph Curry was listed at as a freshman at Davidson? Six, Six foot one eighty. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so like he's bigger than Steph Curry was at this same age. Now Steph is now listed at 6'3", 190, and Trey is right now listed at six two one eighty. So I understand when people say he's little and he's small and that, but like he's not smaller than what Steph Curry was at this exact same age. Like if he grows to, and I I can't predict this, but like if he actually gets to, let's just put him at where Steph's at six three one ninety. What is the problem? Like again, I can't promise you. Um, and I'm not even willing to predict that he's going to become Steph Curry, but I, I'm, I just remember watching Steph maybe after his freshman year or sophomore year at Davidson at the LeBron James camp. I think it was after his sophomore year because it was after the Elite Eight. Um, and I was sitting with some NBA scouts, and still people were skeptical about Steph Curry. I think all the way until draft night, some people were skeptical about Steph Curry in the NBA. But I remember sitting with one scout in particular, and we were watching pickup, and it was I, – I, I can't remember who all was there. I want to say Tyreek Evans was there maybe just before his freshman year at Memphis. I think that lines up correctly because Tyreek was a 2009 and after Steph's uh, – I mean yeah, Tyreek was class of 2008 and Steph's Elite Eight was in 2008. So, yeah, I think that's right. But there were, like, a lot of the best prospects in America there. And the scout, like, was watching him play. Just like I was watching him play. And he said, who's better than that guy? Who's better than Steph Curry? Like, Steph Curry was still at this time, like, not a projected top 10 pick. But the scout was like, nobody, like, are you watching? Nobody's better than him. And he was willing to put the size aside. And I just wonder if NBA scouts are going to get there with Trey Young. Because he is small, but he's not smaller than what Steph was at the same age. And he's doing things on a basketball court right now that Steph was not doing at the same age. 
Agreed. Uh, he is impacting games in so many ways. He's got a great handle. He's got a really good hesitation move. He's got a really good feel for the game. His vision is, is, is pretty well established at this point. He can get his teammates involved in creative ways. He doesn't have the entire flash appeal of Steph, even when Steph was at his peak at Davidson, but he's getting there in a hurry. Um, he's got a green light on the floor, which makes him watchable. I mean, when Oklahoma is playing, you need to be watching him. He is, he is the must-see attraction in the sport right now, without a doubt, and it's, uh, it's interesting. I mentioned this, I believe, on a previous podcast, but this comes two years removed from Buddy Heald's Player of the right. Year campaign. And Heald played off the ball. He shot threes. They, they kind of created offense for him. It's different with Trey. The ball is in his hands. He is, he is being uh, given the keys. It is, it is amazing how seamlessly and easily this is happening. There is no – I talked with, with Trey – and, and the coaching staff, there was no grand reconfiguration of Lon Kruger's offense to adjust to Trey Young. It was merely Trey Young's good. Trey Young knows how to score. We're going to trust him with our with our offense. And they've just been throwing junk defense at him in practice to get him prepared for the stuff that he's going to see in Big 12 play and continually throughout the season. Um, but it's not like this was some huge uh, turnover and philosophy change. No, this was kind of like oh, my God, this kid is that good that we just kind of let him do what he d- does best, and it's really working to this point, to the point where Oklahoma uh, is a top-20 team without question in college basketball. Trey Young is a player of the year front runner, to the point where Parrish, I can't recall at this stage, at this stage of the season, a week before Christmas, where there's ever been a freshman so far ahead of the rest of the pack. There have been really good freshman seasons, but... I'll point people to a, a piece that John Gassaway wrote earlier this week at ESPN.com, and he statistically laid out that what Curry is doing uh, with his points, his efficiency, his assists, it actually hasn't been seen in the modern era uh, to this point in the season. I, I can't overstate how ridiculous he's been, man. It is it is really cool. It's a good thing for the sport, too, and uh, he's a pretty humble kid, but I, we're going to be talking about him, I think, weekly from here on out, whether it's if he continues to do this kind of stuff or if he hits any sort of lull We'll see if that comes, um, but he has been uh, he has been awesome and, and was you know he obviously uh, we talked about this on previous podcasts so we don't have to get too deep deep into it but he clearly made the right choice for him because he is he is flourishing and his teammates are uh, have adapted well around him and that's the one thing that I think some people might overlook a little bit is when you've got a freshman that comes in and is so talented and able to do this you could either have just pure basketball adjustments that take a while to uh, to fertilize, or you could have veterans that resent it. And from all that I gather, neither of those things are happening right now with Oklahoma, which is obviously pivotal to their long-term success. In terms of freshmen who just came out of the block on fire, I don't know that anybody has separated themselves any freshmen this early, um, but also this deep into the season, um, the way Trey Young has. But Durant comes to mind. I don't remember. Was Carmelo Anthony like? Did he win National Player of the Year? I don't know. I don't think so. In fact, this is Roy off the top of my head. Was that TJ Ford? Would would have been Ford? Would have been Collison that year? Um, I'm trying to remember who would have been that year. You might be right. It might have been Ford. Carmelo didn't win it, Uh, and Carmelo was like he had a game. I think his first or second career game was actually at the Garden. First, uh, I was there. Really, back in oh, because it was against Memphis. 
It was against Memphis. Boom. Jeremy Hunt scored 17 points. Yeah, but but Melo uh, had like a really like he had like a 20 and 10 debut or something like that. Yes, yeah, I was, and he was really good. But he was like he was consistent. Like it was immediately like, oh wow, look at this one and done player Syracuse has, uh, really solid player. But he was not this. There, he just he just wasn't. Okay, I'm gonna look uh, right now. 2003 National Player of the Year, T.J. Ford. I was correct. Boom. Okay, so I'm looking at other freshmen. Durant in 06, 07. But was he established in December as the his coming? I mean, he was probably pretty good. Remember, the coming out yeah. game was the uh, the bonkers game against Oklahoma State in January. Anthony Davis in 2012 was he established like by now? I think so, probably because in early December he had that block at the buzzer against Carolina. Yeah, and every everybody recognized he was awesome, like, but he wasn't averaging he was, five blocks a game, no, and 24 no, 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 points yeah. a game. You know. And then no other freshman has won National Player of the Year, although there have been some obviously terrific freshmen. Kevin Love comes to mind. Michael Beasley. I thought Michael Beasley should have won it the year that uh, Tyler Hansborough won it mm. uh, because Beasley was like everybody like Beasley was a statistical monster at Kansas State. Just and he meant. I mean, he did. He took Kansas State to places that it had not been. I think in a in a pretty good while. So whatever. Like yeah, what we're watching. Bottom line, it uh, with Trey Young is is. Uh, unprecedented and let me ask you this and one thing i want to circle back to the steph curry stuff um, he's shooting a higher percentage from the field as a freshman than steph did higher percentage from the free throw line than steph did so it's not like his numbers points per game and assists per games are inflated inefficiently like he's he's just awesome and um no matter how you look at it from what angle he's he's awesome and, and awesome and fun um has anybody ever led the country perhaps i should know this in points and assists per game? Uh, I don't think it's ha- – assists have been an official stat in the NCAA since 83-84, which is maddening in the same way that the NFL sacks didn't become a stat until like 82 because you could have had a situation potentially maybe where Maravich would have done it with LSU, but we don't have the official statistics to know for sure or anyone. Um, so I don't know on the record if it's ever happened. Um, but, yeah, we should we should absolutely find that out. Uh, he's got a – great shot at doing it man it's uh it's really something but yeah no i don't i don't i don't know i don't think so i um, don't think so but i don't know i imagine by the time people are listening yeah. to this it, if it's happened somebody there was will a guy us. yeah there was a guy at marymount who was the last player in like 91 or 92 i believe to average more than eight assists and like more than 25 points or something like that and i don't believe he led the nation in assists when he did that right. so i think yeah. trey's got a great shot I think he's got a chance to do something that's never been officially done in the history of Division One basketball, which would be a remarkable one more point on this before we move on. Um, and it's a point that I've made before, but I think it certainly applies here. Um, you know, when we get into these conversations about the one and done rule and how it might uh, go away, at which point we don't get Lonzo Ball in college and we don't get Derrick Rose in college and we don't get Kevin Durant and Greg Oden in college. And obviously, I, nobody would try to spin that that's a good thing for the sport. Like, having those types of players in college, like, college basketball was more fun last year because of Lonzo Ball. You know, college basketball was more fun once upon a time because of Kevin Love and O.J. Mayo, because of Derrick Rose in that same year, because of Michael Beasley. And without the one-and-done rule, you're not going to get any of that. But one of the points I've always made is that these stories in college basketball, they 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 develop somewhere like you 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 can sometimes predict it oftentimes you can't but the big story is always there you know and uh, like sometimes they're obvious like sometimes it's anthony davis in kentucky 
Like, okay, we saw that one coming. Um, you know, sometimes it's Jelly Okafor and Duke. Okay, we saw that one coming. Um, other times it's Adam Morrison. You know, just uh, shaggy hair, mustache, balling out in Maui. Now he's the biggest story in college basketball. Other times it's Jimmer Fredette. You know, a little guard just shooting from everywhere, posting big numbers. Jimmer Mania. Um, other times it's Buddy Hill. You know, getting a, like a bazillion points in that triple overtime game, launching his National Player of the Year uh, campaign. And right now it's Trey Young. And I, I bring this up because even if the one-and-done rule didn't exist right now, in other words, mm-hmm. if the high school seniors who graduated last year, or I guess technically earlier this year, um, wanted to go to the NBA, they could if they were allowed. Um, you know, they could skip college altogether. We would have a season right now without Marvin Bagley and without Michael Porter Jr., but we would still have Trey Young. Like Trey Young would be in college yes. no matter what. And so I, I'm for high school players. I've made this point a million times, being able to enter the NBA draft out of high school if they want. Um, I just think it's, it's fundamentally right. But I do also recognize that it does hurt college basketball in some way. But it doesn't destroy college basketball because we're going to get player of the year candidates uh, no matter what the talent pool is. And Trey Young, I think, is a perfect example. Yes, it is. That's a good point. But and maybe I'll call dibs on this column whenever it needs to be written. Trey Young is also the exact reason why a potential quote unquote solution from Adam Silver is not that. Because Trey Young was not a projected NBA pick. He is having an amazing freshman year. And if the format that is being tossed out there actually becomes reality, Trey Young would be forced, not truly forced, but he would not be eligible to go to the NBA after an amazing freshman year. It's just as wrong to restrict him from doing that when Trey Young has gone from 50 to 75 prospect to now where he should be on the top 10 of every mock draft board. You know, I agree with you. Like That's why the two and done rule is not a solution um, to the problem because it just moves the problem to another place. Like the reason uh, at least some people state they don't want you know one and dones in college is because they're um, they're worth obviously millions of dollars they've been identified as um, high level pro prospects and that brings the financial advisors on the campus brings the agents on the campus because they're trying to lock this up early well if you make it two and done there's always somebody like this who uh, develops like one year it was D'Angelo Russell like if it was a if we lived in a two and done world, where you can go to the NBA draft at a high school if you want, but if you come to college you got to stay two years. D'Angelo Russell would have still gone to Ohio State, and within a month it would have been clear he's a lottery pick. Well, now he's got to spend another year and a half on campus. Well, you got the same problem you had before: financial advisors, agents, everybody all around it. Last year, Zach Collins, Gonzaga. If two and done era, he would have still gone to Gonzaga. He would have not entered the NBA draft at a high school. Then it would have been clear he's a top twenty pick. He's got to do a sophomore year. He's still got the same problem. Trey Young, perfect example. Two and done rule in place. He would not have entered the draft. He would have gone to Oklahoma. It's already clear he's a future first round pick, uh, and he'd have to have, he'd have to do the rest of this season and another season in college. He's still got the same problem. So you're exactly right. Um, I'm not in favor of two and done. Um, I, I guess it's better on some way, if only because the Bagleys don't have to deal with this stuff. But it's not the it's not the the right solution because it doesn't alleviate all your problems. 
Nothing's going to alleviate all your problems, to be clear, until you're done with amateurism. Promise we're not going to do another 30 minutes on that. But um, the best way to do it is let the high school players go if they want to go. Let freshmen go if they want to go. Let sophomores go if they want to go. Let juniors go if they want to go. Let people enter the NBA draft whenever they want to enter an NBA draft. And if NBA franchises want to draft them, great. If they don't, fine. That seems like the best uh, way to go about it. If you don't have the SeatGeekCap yet, you need to go get it. And when you buy tickets, you need to make sure to use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. And you don't have to just use that promo code for college basketball tickets. It's NBA tickets, football tickets, concert tickets, whatever. You use that promo code COLLEGEBB, and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So next time you get ready to, to go anywhere. You know, perhaps during this holiday season, um, you know, you're going to you got some time away from work. You're going to go to a concert you otherwise wouldn't be able to go to. You're going to go to a college game, NBA game, a bowl game. You uh, you know where to go to get tickets at SeatGeek. And the reason you want to use SeatGeek is because it's going to save you time. It's going to save you money. They search multiple ticket outlets for you, uh, multiple ticket sites for you to ensure you get the best seat, the best value, the best price that you're not getting ripped off. You don't have to wonder, man, could I find this seat at a you know at a better price somewhere else. SeatGeek's handling that for you, so it's saving you time and it's also saving you money. And again, the way to save even more money: promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. Twenty dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase once you download the app. So go get the app and then use that code COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. Norlander, you wrote a column last night, I guess it was, about the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. Uh, announcing that it has changed the criteria for enshrining coaches into the Hall of Fame. I'll let you take it from there. You explain, and then I'll tell you, uh, after you explain why it's dumb, I'll I'll just sort of make <laughs> the point in different words about how it's dumb. Yeah. Well, first of all, I read the announcement, and the uh, the start of it, GP, I don't know if you read it or, like, at the start of this announcement, it, it, does, it, does it not read like they've, they have changed the criteria to what we thought it would be? Do you disagree right. with that? I, which is weird. Like they're either terrible, like they have terrible PR people, or they were trying they were intentionally trying to mislead people. But the whole thing was strange either way. Yes. Okay. So at the top of the announcement it, it mentions how players, officials, and coaches will now have a three year window of retirement before they can get uh, inducted. Players obviously have had to wait five years traditionally, and that will change in twenty twenty. And I thought, okay, that's great. And then at the bottom section it clarifies with coaches um, they have simply moved um, the requirement, you, you know, as it stands right now, you have to be 50 years old, 60 years old, from 50 to 60 years old, and now you need 25 years worth of coaching experience. Not head coaching experience, just coaching experience. You can be an assistant, you can be whatever. And with all of that, um, you will then be eligible to be enshrined at the age of 60, even if you are still active. Now, uh, this is uh, a bad misstep, and... Uh, I I don't get how the Hall of Fame committee was able to acknowledge that the process needed to be changed, and then while doing that, uh, still did not take the full step that needed to be taken, especially in this time when Rick Pitino has been divorced from college basketball, when you have had multiple active college coaches have significant run-ins with the NCAA. If the Hall of Fame is most concerned about its reputation, it's concerned about the long-term outlook on its establishment, then it should be holding coaches outside of enshrinement until they are retired, period. And if you even want to say only you need to be retired for one year, 
I still got no problem with that because most coaches re- would retire in a March or an April, and it would actually truthfully be about a year and a half given the way the voting cycle happens. Um, I think that is makes too much sense, I guess. It's uh, it's a stupid look. They, they, you know, And I thought Jerry Colangelo, and, uh, who you know is the chairman of the Naismith Committee, uh, would have thought this to be the case. I figured he probably is not happy with the fact that Patino has has done the things he's been alleged to do and is uh, currently, you know, one of the men in uh, the Naismith Hall of Fame. I'm not saying Patino needs to be yanked out, but uh, this was a bad misstep by uh, by the Hall of Fame committee. And the floor is now yours, GP. Yeah, it's just like, OK, you recognize a problem. You want to alter the criteria to try to alleviate this problem, but you don't actually do it. You just reduce the likelihood that you'll have the problem, but you don't really eliminate the problem. In other words, and I can't remember whether you pointed this out in your column or Pat pointed it out, Pat Forty, in his column. I think it was you. Um, like Rick Patino, even if you change the criteria, would still have been in the Hall of Fame before all of this stuff happened. Yes. Um, right. And so, like, what good does that do? And I understand their counter argument of, you know, in college basketball, quite clearly men are coaching into their 70s. The greats are. And, you know, they might not retire till they're 75 years old or later. And then, like, you know, how how much of their life do they get to enjoy being a, quote, Hall of Famer? Or, like, they might literally die before they retire, <laughs> which is, I guess, possible. So I, I hear that. I just I guess I would say um, – I guess I would just say I don't care. And so, like, let's just make it like I believe every other Hall of Fame of every other mainstream sport in America is, which is when you retire after a certain amount, certain amount of time, you're eligible for the Hall of Fame. And uh, and then if we want to vote you in, we vote you in. If we don't, we don't. But, like, we're not even going to deal with the case until um, you're actually out of uh, the sport. The idea that college basketball coaches have always been treated differently was always weird to me. Um, and now it has become problematic, somewhat embarrassing. And I, um, you know, I, I know that there is a scenario under which you could apply those standards, and then we find out five years, we find out five years, um, you know, after somebody retires and after they're in the NBA, uh, Hall of Fame, that yo, they were running a crazy shady program. Like I get that, but um, it's it's much more difficult to get caught running a shady program five years after you've retired or three years after you're retired than it is to, um, you know, while you're still coaching, um, you know, Jim Beheim after enshrined into the hall of fame, but while still coaching ran into NCAA issues, Jim Calhoun, same deal, Larry Brown, same deal, Rick Pitino, same deal. And this change to the criteria, again, it doesn't eliminate that possibility. It just lessens it, lessens it a little bit. It does. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we'll see any sort of update to the to the method going forward. It's I don't know. It's not the worst thing in the world, but uh, this combined with the fact that you know we don't even know who's on this committee of twenty four people. Um, like, let me ask you this: Would okay. Rick Pitino get voted into the Hall of Fame right now? No. Like, like if he weren't already in the I Hall of Fame, I do not think so. And that, and I say that GP as someone who acknowledges just how. Uh, from an XNO standpoint, Rick Pitino is supremely respected as considered like a truly elite, elite, elite college basketball mind ever. Um, if he was, you know, if if he was not in the Hall of Fame right now and he was up for consideration, I do not believe that he would be put into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he would either. Um, and so I, I know people who would argue in favor of Rick would say, "Listen, John Calipari had two vacated Final Fours, and they everybody, all the voters knew that." 
and they still put him into the Hall of Fame, and that's a fair, that's a decent point. But I, I think the the argue, counter argument to that would be, but John's never been directly tied to anything, and as we sit here on December twentieth, two thousand seventeen, there are allegations that Rick Pitino was, you know, was involved in, you know, a six figure agreement to a player's family to. Uh, get that prospect to enroll with the University of Louisville. I know Rick denies it, um, but uh, the the federal authorities have alleged it, and it cost him his job. And I do think if the standard for enshrinement in the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame was at some point, I don't care whether it's one year, two years, five years, whatever, at some point after you retire, we will consider you for the Hall of Fame. If we are calling this Rick Pitino's retirement, I don't think he would be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. I think he would be treated a lot like Mark McGuire has been treated, Barry Bonds has been treated, Roger Clemens has been treated, for different reasons, obviously, but I think he'd be treated similarly. I agree. So we'll, well have I appreciate fine. you. We'll have the, uh, we'll have I appreciate you agreeing. Are, people, will, uh, people are aware. So the uh, candidates get announced this week. Finalists announced at the All-Star Game, and then every year at the Final Four, the inductees are announced, which is a cool way, for, by the way, for the Hall of Fame to do it. They kind of you know, three different parts of the year, and they, it's it's all of basketball, so they incorporate different levels of the game. But uh, so, if you're curious about, well, who's going to be? Could it be someone else? You know, college-wise, that gets in. We will not know the finalists, uh, you know, for a little while now, and you won't know who actually gets in until the uh, final four weekend. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts for the second time in this podcast, Terry M. F. and Teagle, the legend. And remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. So please go do that. It makes a difference. We appreciate it. And we will be back on either late Thursday or at some point Friday. Till then, take care.